Welcome, patrons, and thank you for joining us at this special event. This is 10 Things, a series devoted to presenting 10 more things about all those great Saturday morning shows of the 1980s. If you're joining us, it means you wanted more than the Saturday morning podcast had to offer. Think of this as the after show, where we can make a good thing last just a little longer. So grab a can of new Coke and a handful of fruit wrinkles and come back with me to the 80s. Rewind! Again! Mighty Mouse, The New Adventures ran for two seasons and 19 episodes. But you knew that. In fact, there's a lot you already know if you listen to the Saturday Morning Podcast. While we explored Mighty Mouse, The New Adventures, there is still plenty to look back on. Here are 10 things you might not know about Mighty Mouse, The New Adventures. Number 10. Robert Emerson Clampett was born in 1913 in San Diego, California. Known to his friends as Bob, he showed artistic ability at the age of five. By the time he was a teenager, Clampett was drawing a full-page comic for the Los Angeles Times. King Features saw the artwork and offered Clampett an after-school job for $75 a week. King Features allowed young Clampett to work in the art department and would occasionally publish one of his comics. The company even paid for the artist to attend art school to further his career. And further it he did. Clampett was enamored with the medium of animation. He even took a pay cut to just $10 a week to work for the Harmon Isling Studios in 1931. At Leon Schlesinger Productions Animation Studio around 1934, the studio needed a character. Clampett created characters in the form of a pig and a black cat. The pig would go on to become Porky Pig. As the years passed, Clampett continued to work on the Looney Tunes. He brought life to Elmer Fudd, Daffy Duck, and of course, Bugs Bunny. His work helped to influence a whole generation of artists who grew up to be animators. Among them was John Chris Velusi, one of the directors on Mighty Mouse The New Adventures. The zany and wacky unfoldings of the heroic mouse can be attributed to Bob Clampett's influence. The animator passed away in May of 1984 at the age of 70. Beep, beep. Number 9. In 1966, while with Terry Tunes, Ralph Bakshi pitched and sold a television show called The Mighty Heroes. It was added to the Eyes show Mighty Mouse Playhouse. The Mighty Heroes, under the direction of Bakshi, ran for just one season. The series focused on an unlikely assortment of superheroes such as Diaper Man, Cuckoo Man, and others. They fought villains like The Frog, Ghost Monster, and The Enlarger. The series starred Herschel Bernardi and ran for 20 episodes. The show was ended when Bakshi left Terry Tunes to form his own animation company and thus did not continue any association with Terry Tunes. Now, over 20 years later, Bakshi sells Mighty Mouse to CBS and the show is back on the air. In episode 13 of season 1, there was a story titled Heroes and Zeros. Villain Big Murray seals all the numbers in Mouseville, and Mighty Mouse teams up with the Mighty Heroes to right this wrong. This crossover gave Bakshi the opportunity to come full circle. This crossover gave Bakshi the opportunity to come full circle. 
starting over with the Terrytune property in the same place he ended in 1966. It also spawned the Mighty Mouse line, Superheroes Get Free Donuts. Number 8. John Chris Felusi was the supervising director on Mighty Mouse. He was responsible for hiring artists to work on the show. He specifically looked for animators who were dissatisfied with the state of Saturday morning cartoons at that time. He was looking for people who ached to do something new and would be able to under him and Bakshi. In addition to Chris Felusi, Mighty Mouse had three other supervising directors who rode herd on all aspects of production. Above the supervising directors was Ralph Bakshi, who oversaw the overseers. Chris Felusi was always trying to get extra material into all the shows. As CBS approved scripts to go into production, Chris Felusi encouraged the animators to draw gags into the show that had not been scripted. In the years after Mighty Mouse left the air, Chris Felusi has been vocal about the importance of Ralph Bakshi to animation. To him, Bakshi started off a revolution in animation that's still being felt to this day. In the past few years, Chris Felusi has been accused of having inappropriate relationships with several women in the 1990s. The animator did make a public apology and added that, at the time he pursued those women, he was suffering from undiagnosed bipolar disorder and ADHD. Number 7. When looking at the animation staff at Mighty Mouse, The New Adventures, you are looking at a ton of talent. If you were to start the show up again and hire all the same people, they'd either have to take a pay cut out of love, or you'd have to have a buttload of money to reunite them. Here's a quick look at the staff of Mighty Mouse that wasn't Bakshi or John Chris Felusi. Director Kent Butterworth has gone on to work on Tiny Toons, The Simpsons, and The Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog. Recently, he's been part of the Warner Brothers directed DVD line of videos centered around the DC superheroes. Butterworth worked on Suicide Squad, Hell to Pay, Batman, The Killing Joke, and Superman, Red Sun. Jim Reardon would go on to become a director on The Simpsons, but made a name for himself as a writer. He wrote for Tiny Toon Adventures and the spinoff, The Plucky Duck Show. For Pixar, he co-wrote the screenplay for Wally. Working with Disney, he wrote the stories for Wreck-It Ralph, Zootopia, and the sequel, Ralph Breaks the Internet. Like Reardon, Rich Moore would go on to work on The Simpsons. Moore worked on the spinoff, Futurama, as well. Also like Reardon, Moore went to the Mouse House and has been active lately directing movies like Wreck-It Ralph, Zootopia, and the sequel, Ralph Breaks the Internet. Hey, wait, I just read those. Oh, Reardon and Moore seem to have remained friends since their Mighty Mouse days. Actually, upon deeper investigation, they've been friends since their days at CalArts, the artist university where Disney and Pixar animators have originated from. And part of the CalArts collective is Andrew Stanton. Stanton and Jim Reardon wrote the screenplay for Pixar's WALL-E. Stanton has also contributed to Pixar films since Toy Story. As a writer, he contributed to those Pixar movies for 20 years. Even before Mighty Mouse, Stanton had the bug to direct and did so on several films at CalArts. Coming to Pixar, he dabbled in some of their animated shorts. In 1998, he became the co-director on A Bug's Life when John Lasseter was exhausted from working so much in so little time. In 2003, Stanton took the lead on Finding Nemo and produced a hit. He would go on to direct the live-action John Carter and Nemo's sequel, Finding Dory. 
In recent years, Stanton has shifted gears to direct for hit television shows such as Stranger Things and Better Call Saul. Number 6. While preparing the Mighty Mouse episode of the podcast, I came across a few more things you might not know about Ralph Bakshi's early years. The animator was born in Palestine. The year after he was born, 1939, his family emigrated to the U.S. and settled in Brooklyn, New York. The neighborhood the Bakshi family lived in was mostly made of wood. Bakshi would recall that, as a little boy, he loved to look out on the neighborhood and see the walls that had been painted and faded and repainted over and over again. He recalled that wooden food crates would be broken and discarded. A fascinated Ralph would use the broken crates to fashion his own toys. In 1947, the Bakshi family moved to the Washington, D.C. area and settled in Foggy Bottom, a predominantly black neighborhood. Ralph attended a mostly black school with the permission of his mother. This was in the time of segregation. It was feared that, if it was learned that a white Jewish boy was attending an all-black school, there would be backlash from the white segregated schools. And they were right. Ralph was removed from his class by the police. Because Bakshi's father suffered from high anxiety, the family moved away from Foggy Bottom and Ralph attended Thomas Jefferson High School. Finally, at the age of 15, Bakshi found Gene Burns' complete guide to cartooning in the library and devoured the book. Burns created the syndicated comic strip Regular Fellows, which ran from 1917 to 1949 and followed the adventures of suburban children. Bakshi credited this book with starting his interest in animation and cartooning. By the way, Bakshi never bought a copy of The Complete Guide to Cartooning. He did steal one, however, and learned every lesson in it. After these messages, we'll be right back. Every package of Kellogg's Raisin Bran has two scoops of raisins. I know that. But do you know that two scoops are enough to give a plump, juicy raisin to each captain of the Queen's Guard, all the girls on the Cranston High Cougarettes, and Boy Scout Troop 12? That's a lot! They'd still be enough tasty Kellogg raisins for an entire symphony orchestra. That's a crowd of raisins! Now you can share or keep that great taste all to yourself. Kellogg's Raisin Bran, part of this complete breakfast. There's a crowd of raisins in two scoops. Ronald McDonald and Friends in Daydream. If I had my way, I'd spend every day with Ronald and all of his friends. Come on, let's have fun. Ronald would give me a push. I'd look up in the sky. And Bertie'd say, as she came by and by, we play tug of war. I give that old rope a tug. If Grimace falls down, I'd give him a hug. What a good time. What a great place. Come on, everybody. Let's go to McDonald's. What a wonderful dream. It would be such fun to do. Dana, we're going to McDonald's. And sometimes happy dreams really come true. It's a good time for the great days of McDonald's. This is CBS. And on with the countdown. Number 5. The Terry Toon characters Gandy Goose and Sourpuss were rivals of Mighty Mouse back in the days of the film shorts. The villains also made appearances in The New Adventures. 
The funny thing about Gandhi and Sour is that they were around before Mighty Mouse even existed. Sourpuss premiered in 1939 in the short The Owl and the Pussycat, a full four years before Mighty Mouse would come into existence. The cat character was influenced vocally by actor Jimmy Durante. In the first few shorts that Sourpuss appeared in, he was voiced by Arthur Kay. Kay was a composer and orchestral arranger for Terry Tunes. From 1941 to 1955, the voice was provided by Terry Tune writer Tom Morrison. Overall, Sourpuss appeared in 37 film shorts between 1939 and 1950. When he was resurrected for Mighty Mouse, The New Adventures, he appeared in an episode where Mighty rescued Sour from a cat gang and reunited him with Gandy Goose. In that iteration of the character, it was implied that Gandy and Sour were in a romantic relationship. Joe Alasky was the last actor to voice Sourpuss in the late 80s. Beep, beep. Number 4 the 1979 series The New Adventures of Mighty Mouse and Heckle and Jekyll did something pretty brilliant. They produced a number of segments for the title character as well as an adventure called The Great Space Chase. The Filmation series lasted from 1979 to 1980, producing nearly a hundred segments. There were 16 segments of The Great Space Chase which told a serialized story over the course of the show. This segment told the story of Harry the Heartless holding Queen Pureheart hostage. In December 1982, all the segments were released to the theaters as the movie The Great Space Chase. It would be Mighty Mouse's return to the big screen and his first and only feature film to date. One of the uncredited writers was Sam Simon, who would go on to produce The Simpsons. Wendell Washer was a storyboard artist on The Great Space Chase, but he would go on to be an actor on Mighty Mouse The New Adventures. Washer's only role as an actor was his villain, Chester P. Cheesler. And you know who else crossed over from the Filmation Mighty Mouse to Bakshi's series? Fellow storyboard artist, John Chris Felusi. The Mighty Mouse universe seems like a pretty small place. Beep, beep. Number 3 in 1986, Ralph Bakshi took a meeting with CBS executive Judy Price. Price was in charge of Saturday morning programming. Prior to this meeting, Bakshi gathered John Chris Felusi and other animator friends together to brainstorm ideas for a Saturday morning cartoon. They put together their ideas and Bakshi would present them at the meeting. Their goal was to bring their style of new wave animation to Saturday morning. At the meeting with Price, Bakshi presented every idea, and all of them were promptly rejected. Price then asked the natural question, what else do you have? Casually, Bakshi brought up Mighty Mouse. The animator had started at Terry Toons, the home of Mighty Mouse. Bakshi pitched an idea to revive the Super Rodent for Saturday morning and add more of a modern take to it. Price was intrigued and said yes to the show on the spot. But there was one problem. Bakshi didn't have the rights to Mighty Mouse. He looked into it and quickly found a quirky twist of fate. He didn't have to option the rights to produce a Mighty Mouse show. CBS had acquired them in 1955 from Terry Tunes when they created Mighty Mouse Playhouse. So, the network Bakshi pitched to owned the rights to make the show. He's often been quoted as saying he sold CBS their own show. Other than keeping productive, Mighty Mouse offered Ralph Bakshi a chance to advertise his studio. The title cards for the stories were splashed with the words Bakshi Animation. 
That's right, he gave himself a shout-out on Saturday morning. CBS was paying him to advertise his studio on a show they owned, and he sold them. If animation hadn't worked out, I feel Ralph Bakshi would have been a hell of a used car salesman. Number 2. In the world of weekly animation, it's a grind to get the product out on time. Think of all the writers, directors, and producers it takes to outline and write a show, to revise the story and complete storyboards, and then the cast have to come in and bring the characters to life. And then the artists also have to do their part to bring it to even more life. All of it gets shipped to an animation studio who puts the jigsaw puzzle together. The episode gets reviewed, edited, has reshoots, and is finally brought into final form. The show is handed off to the network and broadcast. Only when that show is on our TVs can all those people involved say, we're done. As it is with all television, productions get behind or run out of money. Such was the case on Mighty Mouse when a decision was made to use existing Terry tunes to create three segments of this new show. Mighty's musical classics, Animation Concerto, and Scrappy's Playhouse all consisted of vintage Terry tune animation. Not only that, but for a show that ran 19 episodes, there were three clip shows. The episodes Stress for Success, Anatomy of a Milk Toast, and Mighty's Tone Poem all reused footage from The New Adventures. According to John Chris Felusi, the decision to create these clip shows were not artistic in nature, but budgetary. And now, a very special announcement. Yours? No, I mother was... said she found it in your closet. I don't know. One of the guys was supposed to what? Look, Dad, it's Where not. Where did I... you get it? Dad, Answer I... me. Who taught you how to do this stuff? You, all right? I learned it by watching you. Parents who use drugs have children who use drugs. And now, beep, beep. number one. The last thing on this list may be the best-known fact about Mighty Mouse, The New Adventures. On Halloween 1987, the show aired two segments, as usual. The first was The Littlest Tramp, followed by Puffy Goes Berserk. It was Tramp that caused quite the commotion. There was a scene where Mighty Mouse sniffs the remains of a crushed flower. The story goes like this. A rich man destroys a flower belonging to a girl Mighty once knew. The remains are given to Mighty, who cannot believe that the flower has been destroyed. Seeking to remember the girl, Mighty sniffs the flower, but sniffs so hard the crushed remains fly up his nose. Before the episode aired, editor Tom Klein expressed concern to series director Ralph Bakshi over the fact that it looked like Mighty Mouse was doing cocaine. It was the 80s, and cocaine use was rampant. It was the drug of choice for movie stars and the topic of the movie Scarface. Bakshi didn't view the scene but took Klein's concerns seriously. The director let the scene be cut and that was that. Until producer John Chris Felusi found out that the scene was cut. Chris Felusi argued for the scene to be restored as it was not cocaine use and he believed it to be harmless. The scene was restored to the episode and aired in the final edit. This was at the end of October 1987. Months went by, and then on June 6, 1988, Methodist minister Donald Wildman 
called this scene out as cocaine use on Saturday morning. Wildman was the founder and chairman of the American Family Association, a moral watchdog group that tried to protect American families from immoral programming on TV. When Wildman and the American Family Association accused Mighty Mouse of using cocaine, it sparked a media frenzy of investigation, accusation, and denial. Ralph Bakshi came out defending the episode. He stated that the scene was viewed out of context and that there were no drugs involved. The three-and-a-half-second scene was cut from the master when CBS reran the episode. Bakshi stated, quote, Mighty Mouse was happy after smelling the flowers because it helped him remember the little girl who sold it to him fondly. But even if you're right, their accusations become part of the air we breathe. That's why I cut the scene. I can't have children wondering if Mighty Mouse is using cocaine. End quote. Bakshi would later say that he's never used drugs and despises them greatly. Cutting the scene then strengthened Wildman's accusation of drug use. Wildman also pointed to Bakshi's work in the 70s, especially Fritz the Cat, as immoral work. If Wildman could vilify Bakshi, the public would see that Mighty Mouse really was using cocaine. Wildman pointed to the edit as proof he and his group were right in their accusations. The events of The Littlest Tramp culminated on July 25, 1988, when Wildman called for the removal of Bakshi as head of Mighty Mouse. Network CBS released a statement saying they sided with Bakshi and would support him. Bakshi was not removed as director of the series. The controversy eventually died down. Mighty Mouse's second season of six episodes came and went. Mighty Mouse was not renewed for a third season and was off the air. As a side note, when the series was released on DVD in January 2010, the Littlest Tramp was restored to the original version, complete with the flower-snorting scene. Because cocaine was not a hot topic, because it was not the epidemic it once was, no one found the scene to be controversial. Chances are, when it originally aired in the 80s, the kids watching on that Saturday morning didn't even make that connection. Was it valid? You be the judge. And there you have it, 10 Things About Mighty Mouse, The New Adventures. Join us next time when we take a look at 10 things about a pup named Scooby-Doo. Until next time, thanks for tuning in. Thank you for joining us at the Saturday Morning Podcast 10 Things Series. If you'd like to drop us a line, please write to satmornpod at hotmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at satmornpod. Do you have any vintage Saturday morning memories? Email us your story and we could read it on the next episode.